It's TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. Those of us fortunate enough to have coronavirus vaccines in our bodies have mRNA to thank for keeping us largely protected from the worst of the virus. In today's illuminating conversation, recorded for TED Monterey in 2021 between the head of TED, Chris Anderson, and the co-founders of BioNTech, Uslam Tereji and Ur Shaheen, we learn about the breakthrough mRNA work they've been doing for years, how it led to the speedy development of a coronavirus vaccine to beat back the pandemic, and the potential for this science ahead. Hey, TED Talks Daily listeners, I'm Adam Grant. I host another podcast from the TED Audio Collective. It's called Work Life, and it's about the science of making work not suck. Next time... Every ounce of emotion in a negative way you could you could feel, I think I felt it in, in that moment. I hit a wall, I just felt like I needed to get something off my chest. What we get wrong about mental health at work, and what we can do to start getting it right. Follow Work Life with Adam Grant on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Dr. Shaheen and Dr. Tereji, welcome. Such a treat to speak with you. Thank you very much, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell me, as you think back over the last 18 months, what words pop to mind for you? Well, one word uh, which comes to mind is breathless. It was indeed a breathless 16, 17 months for us. When we started in January last year, it was already at that time clear to us that we were already in a pandemic. What was not known was um, how fast this pandemic would evolve and whether we would have the time in the first place to have a vaccine ready soon enough in, in due time. And understanding this, it meant for us there was not even one day to lose. And this was the mindset of the entire team uh, here in Mainz and in, uh, in, at BioNTech and later on also of our partners, uh, which were involved, Pfizer and others, uh, to um, uh, keep going and be fast. I mean, it's so extraordinary that um, the ideas and the work in your minds have now impacted hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of, of people. That must feel overwhelming. And yet I know at the same time, you, you don't believe in this notion of, of a flash in the pan ideas. Um, Stephen Johnson, the author in his book, Where Ideas Come From, speaks of the slow hunch that the best ideas happen over many years. And I know that you believe that is true in your case. I'd like us to go back a couple of decades. Tell us how this began. How did you meet? We met on, on an onchohematology ward, Ugo being a young physician, and I was still in medical school training on ward, and which means we met in one of the worlds which uh, became important to us, the world of patient care, uh, of treating onchohematology patients. And we soon found out that there, there was a second world which we liked, namely the world of science. We were haunted by the same dilemma, namely that whereas um, there was not much we could offer our cancer patients, there were so many uh, potential technologies we encountered in the lab which could address this. So one of our shared uh, visions was to bridge this dilemma uh, by working on bringing uh, science and technology uh, fast, and that's an important word here, fast to the patient's bedside uh, to address um, high medical need. So I think the first company you founded 
nearly 20 years ago was to use the power of the human immune system to tackle cancer. We, we were always interested by uh, using the patient immune system to fight cancer and other type of diseases. Uh, as immunologists, we knew how powerful the, the human immune system is, uh, but it was also clear that the uh, human immune system in, in the case of cancer uh, did not fight cancer cells. It could fight it, but it didn't. And for, for that, uh, we wanted to develop immunotherapies. That means treatments uh, that use the power of the immune system and redirect the power of the immune system to cancer cells. It was clear that in the university setting, we could not continue to develop monoclonal antibodies because the cost for development of monoclonal antibodies before you can start a clinical trial was in the range of 20, 30 million euros. And therefore, we decided to start a company to get the funding. Now, soon after you started this company, you decided to get married. <laughs> Tell me about your wedding day day was well planned, quick wedding, and thereafter we went back to the laboratory and uh, our, our guests at our wedding were, that, that was basically our team, uh, our research team. So no time to lose, Chris. <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty special honeymoon. I mean, it's, it, it seems like your, your love for each other is, is very much bound up in your love for this work and your sense of the importance of, of this work. How, how would you... How would you characterize those intersecting relationships there? We are, a, we are really two scientists. At the end of the day, we love what we do. Yeah? And, and for us, um, uh, we don't differentiate between work uh, and life balance. It's for us really, really a privilege to be, to be scientists, to be able to, to do what we love. And, and therefore, we combine our normal life with our, with our professional life. And therefore, this is pretty normal for us. So talk to me about this extraordinary molecule RNA and how you got interested in it and, and how it became, as I understand, an increasing focus of your work. And indeed, it, it led to the founding of BioNTech. Talk about that. mRNA is a natural molecule. It's uh, one of the first molecules of life. It is a carrier of genetic information. Uh, but in contrast to, to DNA, it's not stable. Uh, so it, uh, it can be used to transfer information to human cells, and the human cells can use this information to build proteins, which can be used for therapeutic settings. Uh, for example, to make a protein, which is a vaccine, yeah? or to make a protein, which is an antibody, or to make a protein, which is another type of drug. And we were fascinated by this molecule class because it was very clear um, that mRNA can be produced pretty fast, within a few days. And we were, as MDs, we were particularly interested to develop personalized medicines. Uh, that means uh, a, a treatment and immunotherapy uh, specifically designed for a cancer patient because one of the one of the key challenges in cancer cancer treatment is that every patient has a different tumor. If you compare two tumors uh, of two patients with, with the same type of tumor, the similarity of these tumors is less than three percent, and ninety seven percent is really unique. Yeah, 
And it is, uh, today, it's, uh, it's still not possible to address the uniqueness of, of the tumor of a patient. And therefore, we were seeking for a technology which could be used for immunotherapy and which could be used to develop a treatment within the shortest possible time. Uh, the idea uh, to get the genetic sequence of the tumor and then make a vaccine which is personalized within a few weeks. Or is it fair to say that almost all of the significant things that happen to us biologically are actions done by proteins and that it's, it's mRNA that actually makes, makes those proteins? If you, can, if you can understand the language of mRNA, you can get involved in pretty much everything of significance uh, to the well-being of a, of a human being. Exactly. So, in principle, um, the information instructions are in the DNA. These have to be translated into protein because proteins are the actors which keep our cells alive and our organism functional. And the way how to translate what is um, uh, instructed by DNA in a fashion that it is well-timed and happens at the right places into protein, there is messenger RNA. Messenger RNA sort of instructs when and how much of which protein has to be built in order to ensure the activity of our body. So you can almost think of DNA as the, as the sort of the Oxford English Dictionary of Language, it sort of sits there as the reference point. But for the actual living work, the living work of, of language out there in the world, instructing things, that is done by mRNA. Yeah, absolutely. It is possible. So the, the human cells, exactly, DNA is like a library. If you, if you have the platform for the messenger RNA uh, therapy, you can deliver any type of message and, uh, and the body cells ensure that the message is is translated into the right protein. A high advantage of um, mRNA is that it is so versatile. You can uh, deliver all sorts of messages, as, as Ugo has, has called them. Uh, on the one hand, uh, you can deliver the blueprint for the protein, uh, which you want to be produced in this cell. But you can, with the same molecule, also um, design into the mRNA instructions how this protein should be built, uh, instructions to the protein factories of the cell. So you can define whether you want this protein to be built in high amounts uh, or for a long duration, how the pharmacokinetics of this protein should be in this cell. So talk about January of, of last year, when you, you first heard about this new virus that was spreading. So in <clears throat> end of January, we, we, we read a paper uh, published about this outbreak in Wuhan and realized uh, that this new outbreak has all features uh, to become a global pandemic. And we were concerned our life will change. This outbreak could change the fate of mankind. And uh, we knew that we have this messenger RNA technology, which was actually developed for personalized cancer therapy. But the idea of personalized cancer therapy is to get a genetic information of the patient and then make a vaccine as fast as possible. And we had now the same situation. It was not a personalized vaccine, uh, but it was a genetic information of the virus, which was released uh, two weeks earlier. 
also this genetic information of this virus was available and our task was to make a vaccine uh, as fast as possible. And the challenge at that time point was uh, it was almost nothing uh, known about this virus. It was a completely new virus. Uh, we, uh, we had some assumptions which target, which molecule encoded by the virus could be the right target. Uh, th that means the molecule which can be used uh, to precisely engineer an immune attack. And the spike protein has two functions. One function is really uh, to enable that the virus sticks to human cells. Yeah, uh, and uh, for example, uh, uh, sticks to cells in the in the human lung. Yeah, and the second is uh, that the spike protein acts as a key. Uh, it allows the virus to enter into the cells. Our goal was to engineer an immune response. So it's really stunning that um, within just a few days of your looking at this sequence of what of the most dangerous pathogen to hit humanity in in a hundred years, I guess, um, that you were able to come up with these these candidate vaccines. And uh, and I guess over the over the next weeks and months, you had growing confidence that, wow, you'd actually, this was going to work. It wasn't until the results of the human trials came out, I guess in no November of, of last year, that you really knew. Tell us about that moment. Uh, it was a Sunday when we were waiting for these results, which are assessed in such trials by an independent committee. And Ugo said, so let's see uh, how the data will look like. It was not clear whether uh, it would be thumb, thumbs up or down. And uh, we were very relieved and felt blessed to hear that the vaccine was highly efficacious, over 90%. And that more than 90% almost disguises the full extent, because that's just against any kind of um, level of infection of, of COVID. The severe infection and fatalities were almost completely protected against, I think. Um, and it must have been an ec ecstatic moment for you. It certainly was for, for so many people around the world. Yes, absolutely. So we had, this was a Sunday evening and, and there were a handful of people knowing that an effective vaccine is existing against uh, this global pandemic. And uh, we were so excited and so happy. Yeah? And we shared, of course, this information the next day. <laughs> so um, um, based on what's happened this time around and, and the amazing acceleration compared with any other vaccine development, I mean, if we were hit by uh, another virus, could you picture that next time we, we could accelerate the, the timeline further still if, if need be? Yes, because this is an excellent question. Actually, the world was not prepared to deal with such a pandemic. The science uh, and, uh, and, and the vaccine developers reacted in an excellent fashion. And it is incredible uh, and wonderful that it was possible to come up with an effective vaccine uh, while a pandemic is ongoing in less than 12 months. But the challenges that we have at the moment is that we don't have sufficient production capacity. Ideally, ideally, we would be prepared the next time not only to develop a vaccine in light speed, yeah, but also to, to make and distribute the vaccine in light speed. So what we need now as an additional ele element which was not existing is, is manufacturing capacity and idle man manufacturing capacity. We must be, uh, um, bring us into a position that we, that, that we can produce 
um, 12 billion doses of vaccine, if you consider prime boost, yeah, within, within less than six months. Yeah. And this is technically possible. This can be done if governments uh, and uh, international organizations invest into manufacturing capacity, invest into, into keeping this, this idle capacity, and, and also come up with a, with a standardized plan and process to enable even faster response. So, so we, uh, in, in principle, uh, we might be able to manage to come up with a vaccine and start distribution in even less than eight months. What does what's happened in this last year tell you now about the prospects for using mRNA to treat cancer and indeed other diseases? Where is this heading? What we have now is approved technology and first approved product. The development of the, of the coronavirus mRNA vaccine shows the power of the, of the mRNA and it shows also um, the, um, the safety of this approach and it opens up a door uh, for new technology and for new type of treatments. The mRNA molecules that we are currently using for cancer, we have more than 10 products now in, in clinical development uh, are diverse against the different types of cancers. We are very confident that the success that we have generated now for our, our infectious disease vaccines can be continued with our cancer immunotherapies. I mean, some people may hear this and say, this is just you know, another type of drug that's, that's coming along. But I think on, on the mental model you're talking about, it's, we should think about it as much more revolutionary than that, that typically a drug, a traditional drug, kind of changes the chemical environment, the background of an entire area of, of the body. If you understand the language of, of mRNA, you can do something much more specific and precise. Is that a, a, something like a fair way to think about it? Yes, yes, indeed. It could be the next revolution in the biofarm landscape. At the end of the day, disease is a situation where the communication between cells are, are disturbed. Yeah, so for example, autoimmune disease is, is, is a disease condition where immune cells attack normal cells. And indeed, we, we could engineer messenger RNA therapies, uh, which could teach the immune system to stop to do that. Yeah without inhibiting the whole immune system, but by just communicating with the immune cells which are attacking. We could be uh, precise and more specific. The success of BioNTech um, over the last couple of years, um, uh, I think your, your, the value of the company is like rocketed because of what's the amazingness of what's happened. I mean, it's made you both extremely wealthy. I think you're both billionaires now. How... Uh, how have you been able to respond to that? Sometimes so much money brings its own problems with it. Is it, is it proving a distraction? For a company which sees innovation as its a core mission, too much money is never a problem. <laughs> because innovation really means that you have to invest. Otherwise, we will only have me too type of products or incremental improvement uh, for solutions of high medical need? No, it, it, it really gives us the, the chance to transform uh, our company. When we compare ourselves with uh, the situation we had at the beginning of 2020, we had a number of uh, product candidates in clinical testing, but, but the company required funding every year or every second year. 
now we have a situation uh, to really address the full vision of the company. We started we started Biontech with the idea re really to, to provide novel treatments wherever uh, there is a high unmet medical need. And we now can, can do that in a much larger and broader scale and, uh, and bring our innovations faster, faster to, to patients. You were both from families who immigrated from Turkey to Germany. Uh, immigrants have faced hard times uh, in many countries, including Germany. And yet um, you, I think, have helped transform the debate about immigration in Germany and elsewhere just by the extraordinary success that you've achieved. Um, creating this world-leading company in, in Germany. Do you take joy for the impact you may have had on this issue? It is somehow surprising because, because the way how we, how we do science and how, how, how we recognize uh, how people work effectively in teams together is not to ask from where the person is coming, yeah, and, but what the person can contribute. So in, in our company, uh, we have, we have uh, employees from more than 60 countries. Yeah? So we are an international group of scientists as any other research uh, institution. So we have to recognize that globalization really helps to bring people, uh, scientists or other engineers uh, into one place, allowing to work together and to come with extraordinary results. For us, this is some, somehow surprising that this is seen as special. It is just the way how excellent research and science works. Well, it's extraordinary and inspiring what you've achieved, and it'll be very exciting to track progress over the coming years. Thank you so much. Thank you. TED Talks Daily is hosted by me, Elise Hugh, and produced by TED. Theme music is from Allison Layton Brown, and our mixer is Christopher Fazy Bogan. We record the talks at TED events we host or from TEDx events, which are organized independently by volunteers all over the world. And we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or email us at podcasts at TED.com.